Hey, this is Kiran Nagrad from the Sparking Entrepreneur Show, and today we have Jason R. Warner with us. Jason is a combat veteran, ex-McKinsey musician, writer, investor. He's an executive coach to passionate humans. He talks about leadership, personal growth, and executive coaching. Are you hungry to personal and professional growth, but can't seem to find the right routine for you? Listen to our conversation with Jason today and get an insight. So, Jason, welcome to the show. Mm, thank you for having me. That was a beautiful introduction. You're perhaps bigger than I am. Not in so many ways. So, Jason, let's begin with your journey. Tell us about yourself and what got you started. Yeah. And so I think like most people, the story is quite personal. We had a chance to get to know each other a little bit before this call, but like you mentioned some of the things that kind of, I don't know, punctuate my career so far in my life. I'd say really the, like the two decades after college were underneath what I call a banner of achievement. That was the main value that I was kind of going toward. It was like good school, good job, better school, better job, just climbing the ladder toward that idea of achievement. And about six years ago, I found myself throwing myself into work in a very unhealthy way. And you mentioned the name McKinsey, like any big consulting firm or any kind of really, I'll use the word elite, like uh, organization, very demanding. You can give yourself a lot of energy into that job. And I found myself looking for a connection and validation inside of my work and throwing myself more and more into that. And probably both symptomatic and causal of that, I also started the process of, of going through a divorce with my wife of then 10 years. And so it was really a painful experience for me about six years ago, partly because I had been going down this path focused on achievement. And also partly because there were a lot of things in my life that were tapping me on the shoulder saying, like, hey, buddy, you're on autopilot, like check in, like something's not going quite right. And it only happened after this whole period of throwing myself into work in an unhealthy way, picking up some unhealthy habits to cope with that, going through the divorce, where I really started asking myself some of those questions, which had really been on the back burner for a while. Questions that a lot of my clients and I explore, what is your purpose, especially if you could write it down. What are your core values, especially those values that you may have left behind a little bit. And I started asking myself those questions and getting more clear about what is important to me and what are my strengths. Part to that too, I started getting exposed to, through the divorce process, a lot of therapists to try to help save the marriage, to try to unwind the marriage, to think about co-parenting therapy for myself. And I was doing some leadership programs with my company to bring in like these really amazing facilitators and coaches to help manage and guide leadership development. And I had a career coach as I chose to leave the firm. Somebody talked through what's next for me. And so basically I had on one hand, all this really deep personal work about what's important to me. And on the other hand, I saw these people that were either coaching or coaching adjacent or in service for people one-on-one. -on -one. And I asked myself, why couldn't I do that? And I didn't know for sure if that was going to be the path that I wanted, but I knew that I couldn't say where I was. And so I, I gave myself six months as an experiment. I said, okay. It seems like something that would be good. I was looking at the water from the diving board almost, not really knowing what it would really be like. But I said, I'll give myself six months, join a certification program, get some clients to try to coach. And after six months, I'll evaluate to see if I want to continue doing it. And long story short, it was the first thing that I've done in my life that I want to do for the rest of my life. It feels like a passion and a calling to me. And I get to work with amazing startup leaders and CEOs and individuals who are trying to bring their dream and their vision to the world and to bear witness to that and support that is a real honor for me. It sure is. Jason, what a wonderful way of putting the story that you just mentioned, which is a true story, of course. If I were to ask you for the clients now, you have worked with so many clients over the years. 
is there anyone who sticks out is there anyone who is on the top of the mind right now who success story you liked in some ways of course you like everybody's success story so this yeah. one yeah i'll think of there are two that come to mind i'll start with the first one which maybe is more relevant and i won't be naming names but let's call this person chris i'll call them chris and chris was a series b ceo and as when you go on the rocket ship of venture investment comes with a lot of expectations and a lot of pressure to continue to outperform and drive toward what every investor needs is an outsized return to balance out their portfolio. And so they're trying to do that moonshot or that really strong push forward. And so as you continue to take the investment, the stakes and the expectations continue to grow. One thing I notice about a lot of people that I come into life with around the B round is that they're just beginning to transition their life from the owner and the doer of the company to the manager and the overseer, the visionary of the company, which is a really hard transition to make because for most really successful founders up until that point, they're used to being the smartest person in the room. They're used to putting in the extra hours and getting the project finished. Maybe from childhood, used to studying the extra few hours and getting that perfect grade. And now they're in a place where complexity has outpaced human capacity and they have to manage people who manage the product, not the product themselves. And they have to think about how they inspire and build a culture that can inspire when they're not around. And not only do they have to find a new way of working, they almost have to unlearn the ways of working that were so successful in the past. And this is very much a part of Chris's journey where he was really struggling with perfectionism and trying to keep control of the organization and figuring out how to scale where not every decision needs to be passed through him. More importantly, what parts of the organization need to be having Chris involved and what parts of the organization can he say, I delegate and empower others to do that. Now, fast forward, I guess, maybe zooming in first, like a lot of our work was focused on those limiting beliefs about how he needed to be the person to be in control. And sure, as a CEO, you're always going to be in control at some level, but you can't be in control at all levels. And the effects of that on his life where he was starting to get burnt out, his relationships outside of work were crumbling. He was under stress all the time. He was constantly feeling like he was behind, partly because in some ways he was, because he was taking on too much. And so what we had to do is really find for him a new operating model, a new way of working. And I'm able to see his journey now through the C round and the D round of like how he actually made that shift, how he actually moved away from that old way of working into this new way of leading and empowering. And that's really satisfying, partly because I get to watch the kind of fruits of that labor. And I've had clients go through round around funding. I've had clients who have successful exits. I've also, of course, had clients who have realized this isn't the path for them and they need to find something different. But that's one example that I think is really meaningful because there's, it's so common to find like this idea of what got you here won't get you there. The way of working now is not the way of working that we need going forward. There's a real struggle for Chris to reinvent himself in that way. But I can say with very strong certainty that the success that he has is because of how he was able to do that. Yes, totally. And are there any systems and processes that you use, not for Chris, but for uh, in general, are there any systems and processes that you tend to rely on? It's a complicated answer. I'm going to say yes and no. The yes part, I'll start with the no part first. The no part is very much the approaching of coaching for me is I come at it from a generalist and I sometimes call myself a process expert. And what that means is I myself have never been a CEO. I myself don't have the context of the people that I'm working with, their background, their experiences, their culture, their unique way of seeing the world. And that's okay because my job isn't to tell them how to do their job. My job is to bring into conversation a level of awareness and understanding that they didn't have before. 
said differently, it's my job to get their resources online. In Chris's example, it'd be to get more of Chris into the room, more of Chris online and alive so that he can put his resources, his capabilities, his expertise, his experience, his knowledge, all these beautiful things into practice with more leverage. And so from that standpoint, there is no formula because every individual's journey is going to be different and everybody's context or kind of focus is going to be a little bit unique. Now, the yes part of that question, though, is that once you find yourself at a kind of a point of a journey where maybe there's some pattern recognition that supports that, let's say imposter syndrome comes up or in Chris's case, perfectionism. In those contexts, there are definitely tools, frameworks, and approaches that I lean on, but it's almost like building a dish from different ingredients. The dish is going to be different each time, but the recipes that support that might be familiar and, and tested over time. Yes, totally. So the core is still the same. It is to improve the client's life, but the life that you're trying to improve or the culture that you're trying to build is, of course, different. So the ingredients might be same, but the recipe can be different. Yeah, totally. And let me say something that I think may be more helpful for the listeners, which is that it always comes down to, at some level, a willingness to explore inside yourself a little bit, a willingness to be self-aware and introspective, especially with the pressures of taking investor money or trying to build a product or even earlier on get product market fit and traction. There's a lot of time, there's a lot of energy put out there to the outside world. And as you take that journey into being a leader around your BNC round, or as any, and, and maybe in a different journey, a different kind of context for a different type of company, like the habit is to continue to look outside and what needs to happen out there. But when you're really being a leader of people and influencing the culture of a company or the organization, it's really important to find space and time to think back into what makes me, how do I think about my unique gifts and strengths? And also what are the patterns? Sometimes the things that are going to hold me back, sometimes the things that are going to be really difficult for, or maybe limiting in terms of how I show up in the world. I don't know if Angela Duckworth wrote that book, Grit. And I heard her on a podcast several years back and somebody asked a question like, what is really separating these leaders that you've interviewed? Because she interviewed Olympic athletes, gold medalists, billionaires, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And the question to her was like, what sets them apart and what's unique about them? And she said it varies from person to person, but the main thing is this idea of metacognition, which is just the ability to think about your thinking, the ability to observe yourself in action. And it can be really tough to get trapped in the idea of doing and racing towards some outcome. But if you don't take the time to actually slow down and maybe through tools like mindfulness or just like building a little space in your calendar or really committing to this as a process with a mentor or a coach, you're never going to really tap that next gear of how you work and also approaching the things that are holding you back. And so it all starts with a journey of self-awareness. And that's where any kind of change comes from at the beginning. It might not be the end of the journey, but every journey that's important, I think, starts with self-awareness. Self-awareness you mentioned. So what are some ways of being more self-aware? What do you suggest? The two that I'm, uh, they're both the most popular and the things that I'm a fan of, and they're probably most popular because they most consistently work. Also make a shameless plug for having a relationship with a coach or a therapist is very helpful because it's a chance for you to look in the mirror a little bit. It's hard to do some of this work on your own, but Maybe two, perhaps three things that come to mind. I mentioned the mindfulness, meditation, whatever kind of practice that flows under this idea of mindfulness. And it's really creating a dedicated space. And I think meditation is a great vehicle for mindfulness, but it creates a space for you to have that more internal conversation with yourself and observe yourself more as a human being than a human doing. And so one thing that I would recommend to any client, regardless of their walk of life, is like find a mindfulness practice. A daily thing that you can do to step back from your context and behind your own curtain of your own life. 
Carly, I'd also recommend making that at least a 10 minute long process, ideally 20 minutes, because you get a lot more benefit in the last 10 minutes than you do in the first 10 is my experience. And what I've noticed is experience of others. The second, and it's again, quite cliche because it's quite popular these days, but again, popular for good reason, just the idea of journaling, having something that you can take as a space to collect your thoughts, not to problem solve or to-do list. There's a notepad for that. Having some dedicated space and ideally a physical one, you can do it on a Google Docker notion, but there's something magical about having a pen on paper, what I call think and ink, right? You can slow down. I came up with this little idea a few days ago. It's like the reason journaling for me is successful is because it creates more space, more place and a better pace and space, meaning that you can have this kind of spaciousness with your world. Instead of just the thoughts rattling around your head, you can give them kind of more space by looking at them more objectively place, meaning that you put them somewhere, right? Writing them down has a little bit of power and agency. You can say, okay, these are my thoughts, but let me actually put them down on paper so I can look at them objectively and they have a place to live. They have a place to exist. I'm not being run by my thoughts. I'm actually taking ownership of them as I write them down. And then pace, meaning that it naturally slows things down. There's one of the ben benefits of mindfulness too. It's not just the re reflection on yourself that you reflection on yourself that you get, but also the chance to breathe and like let the speedometer go down a little bit. Same thing with journaling. You can't write nearly as fast as you can think. And so when you take the pen and start writing down your thoughts, you're naturally slowing yourself down a little bit too. And I'll add a third, which is just something that I say is more personally helpful. I have a little app on my phone called Yap, Y-A-P-P. There are other ones like MindJogger, but essentially all it does is just feed you random reminders throughout the day. You can say, I want seven reminders between the hours of 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. And it gives you random reminders and notifications on your phone. Side note, if you have an unhealthy relationship with your phone already, maybe find a different way to do this. But for me, this is helpful because I have a reminder set for sometimes I've had it set as breathe. Right now I have it set for check-in, which is just a reminder to observe what am I doing and why am I doing it and how am I doing it right now. And all these three ideas are just frameworks for practice and practice at getting better at observing yourself in action. The mindfulness is a chance to reflect inward. The journaling is a chance to reflect inward. And these little notifications or prompts randomly throughout the day are a chance to build that muscle of reflecting inward. And so the more you do that, the more you practice that, the more slowly and slowly things come into awareness. Ah, that's the reason I'm feeling this way. Or, oh, that's that strategy that I have. Or that's why I'm doing this with some of the stories that I have. And you can start to notice patterns. And it helps you look at your own life a bit more like a scientist, like an anthropologist. And by that point, take more objective ownership of it versus being the victim of your circumstances. Journal is something that you mentioned. Is there a particular way of journaling that you suggest? Because there are so many ways. Is there any particular way that you suggest or what? There are many ways. And I think I always do the softball answer for this, which is don't let the framework get in the way of your progress. Like just commit to grabbing a piece of paper and commit to some kind of either a cadence or a deliberate time of day and just write whatever comes out. There's no need to templatize it or put things into prompts. Now, sure, the prompts are helpful and the templates can be helpful, but the number one thing is getting the inertia of starting. And I think step one is to say, I am not going to worry about what or how I'm writing down. I'm just going to take the action of for 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever the commitment is, just to write out whatever's happening. Let your internal voice become words on paper. And I think sometimes, and this is maybe me speaking from my own experience, the process can feel like we can sometimes rescue ourselves from getting started by saying, I need the right prompts or I need the right approach. And if you free yourself from that constraint, there's a little bit more energy to just get going on that.
But after you get started on that, one thing I'm a fan of is, and I wrote just some newsletters recently about this. I sometimes think of self-awareness along three horizons. I think of the sensations, the stories, and the strategies that happen in life. And this can be a really nice way to explore with a little bit more concreteness what's happening free from a self-awareness standpoint, and journaling is a helpful vehicle for that. So what do I mean by this? So sensations are just anything that you're noticing is happening for you in your body or your emotional kind of landscape. It's like just taking down the pen and saying, okay, what's happening? I'm feeling anxious. There's like a pit in my stomach. Like it's a hot swirling kind of mass or I'm feeling flushed in the cheeks and my left knee hurts. Like just noting down almost like to an obscene or a a crazy level of specificity, what you're noticing is happening for your physical body. Because honestly, that's a great entry point into what's happening for you more broadly. And then second to that is what are the stories that are oftentimes fueling those sensations? What are stories? I mean, like judgments and thoughts. And so you can say, okay, I'm feeling this anxiety. And what's making this anxiety shows up is I'm believing that I'm not doing good enough in my job. I'm believing that this person is is looking at me and thinking that I'm not doing good enough. And by the way, there's a deeper story here that when this person looks at me and thinks that I'm not doing good enough in my job, I'm making up the, the story that's, that I've seen several times around my own life. That means I'm not good enough more broadly in life and that I'm a failure. And if I'm a failure, then people aren't going to love me. There can be a lot of depths to the stories because you keep on asking like, and so what, and so what, and so what, getting more clear on what's the actual core story this year. And suddenly a piece of critical feedback goes all the way down to follow the breadcrumbs all the way into the woods. And like, oh yeah, the reason it hurts me so much or hits me so hard is because when I get critical feedback, I am not feeling like I'm not going to be accepted by my community and not going to be loved or whatever the core fear is. It might be different from person to person. You only really get to that core level of what is this real big story here by practice and by looking deeper into that. But then funnily enough, like the the third one strategies is just what do I then do? What do I not, what are my choices of what I do next? But more, what are typically what I do? This is more self-awareness. What are my patterns that show up when I feel this way? Or what am I finding the urge to do? I'll give you a silly little example. Like a couple of weeks ago, my, my wife said she wanted to load the dishwasher in a particular way. A way that I thought wasn't, it wasn't the right way of loading the dishwasher. I wanted to be right. I was holding onto my righteousness of loading the dishwasher. And if I were journaling in that moment on my own sensations, stories, and strategies, I would realize, okay, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of frustration here. I can tell that because of the tightness of my jaw. I'm noticing that frustration. And the story is that even like when she thinks it's, this is the right way of loading the dishwasher, she is not respecting my way of doing it. So she's saying that I'm dumb. I'm making up the story like I'm taking a lot of leaps, of course, because my mind takes a lot of leaps. I'm just noticing the leaps that it takes. I'm saying, oh, my wife is disrespecting me. I'm not feeling respected by her. And that's why it's so frustrating. Now, here's the interesting thing. The strategy that I noticed myself about to do was I was just going to shut my mouth and let her load the dishwasher her way. And I was secretly hoping that it wouldn't work, that like the dishes would come out dirty or that even better, like a couple would be broken. And like my strategy then was to say, okay, I'm going to shut up and let you do this your way. And secretly hope that something's going to break and it's not going to work out well. And in that moment, also realizing that I'm not being assertive for what I need if that were my path. Or if I did say, Let, let's do it your way, I'm not actually curious about learning from it. I'm not open with it. It's more, I'm going to prove you right or get you in a gotcha moment. And those strategies was like, hey, what do I typically do? When I show up with these stories, what are some of the things I do? You can also see it in patterns with people who like when they hurt by a friend or when they feel like disrespected, they might distance themselves. As I get really curious about that, oh, what's actually happening here is I'm hoping they're going to reach back and pull me in. I'm asking for them to rescue me. And I'm, this is a test that I'm putting them in to see if they're actually going to be wanting me in the way. 
or when I'm a CEO and I give somebody this project, I'm actually hoping that it's not going to work out because I'm not going to prove my value to them and say, yep, I'm going to come in and rescue and hear the situation. And getting really critically self-aware of your sensations or your stories and your strategies is a beginning point of then having a conscious choice to do something differently, whether it's the CEO going into empowering in a more authentic way, or just me on a quiet, like Friday evening saying, yep, let's try this dishwasher your way. I'm not sure it's going to work, but I'm open to finding out. Yes. That was a long answer to this idea of journaling. Yes, but we have gotten the answer. So it starts with sensation, then it is story, and then it is strategy. Keep that in mind, guys. The next question is about misconception about coaching. What do you get a lot? I think you can go one of two ways. There's on one hand, the idea that coaching is like consulting. On the other hand, it's like the idea that coaching is a little like therapy. And neither one is quite accurate, although they can, there, there are blurry lines between all these things. Coaching is not consulting in that, what I said earlier, this is a process of inquiry of me asking questions and getting you to have more of your resources online. It's not me coming with the answer. So differently, if you want to learn about delegation, I don't say, cool, here's a five-part framework. Go try it and let me, let's check in two weeks to see how it goes. We get really curious about what are the stories, the assumptions, the beliefs, the stuff that's holding you back from delegating in the first place. And we zoom into that level of like your own human humanity. And then from there, we might have at the end of the conversation, a great like four-part framework or five-step approach that might be helpful for delegating, but it can't start there. Otherwise we stay at the surface, but it can't end there. And I think between the two, that's the more common misconception. And it's, it's, and I'll also speak for myself because I think there are coaches out there that are going to be more mentorship focused where they say, Hey, I was a CEO for 20 years. Now I'm done. I'm doing coaching. And my coaching looks a lot like telling you how to do your job. My coaching and what I would call pure coaching and most of the coaching you find with the executive coaching out there though, is really focused on the human being and the, like the level of that awareness that we were already talking about. And so oftentimes there can be a client that shows up and they say, hey, I just want to tell you how to do my job. Tell me how to do my job. Give me the tools and tricks. I don't know what I'm doing. Tell me what's going on. And that's not really a good use of their time or their money, in my opinion. Because I, want, I don't want to be there for somebody. Uh, I don't think that's the best use of the kind of arrangement and the kind of context that we have. I'll be there with them as they go through the journey. And so really one misconception is that this is going to give me the answers. And farther back on that is this idea that I think I don't know what I want coaching for. I just know it's a good idea. Like people get coaching. I should get a coach. My board said I could get a coach. That's a good idea. Let's get the coach. And that's never really going to be authentic to you because it's just like a should or a ought to kind of idea. And really, if you're going to be successful in the path of having a coach and going down that journey, it has to be connected upstream to something that's really important for you where you say, okay, I want to get better at this certain thing in my life or this certain thing in my leadership or certain things. And once you have that, you can more clearly say, and I think coaching can really help me get there. But absent that kind of linkage, it's just going to be a bit of talking or tactics. It's always going to be superficial. So that would be what I would say about the misconception, especially one that holds us back from having really deeper or more meaningful uh, relationships and outcomes. Yes, totally. Coaching is not consulting. Coaching is, of course, not therapy. Coaching is coaching. And that's what everybody should know. A coach is going to be with you and not for you. So, Jason. Tell us about ways of reaching out to you. People are getting curious. So tell us some of the best ways of getting a hold of. Yeah. The easiest way is the website, jasonrwaller.com. Partly because that's where you can also learn a little bit about me and about the type of work that I do and add some context and color to this conversation. That'll be helpful to know like where and how this could fit in. And then on the website, there is a, a form that you can go through to just say, I want to reach out, I want to learn more, have a conversation. Mm -hmm. 
I'd say right now I'm looking for and working mostly with center of my bullseye being a series B, series C CEO, people are that kind of journey and that part of their journey. And a lot of the aspects that would be focused more on like, how do I become the better leader and the better person? How do I show up and who am I? Less what do I do? But the website's always a great spot. Jason, uh, wonder.com it is. Yeah. Okay. So final question for the day, Jason. Tell us about the action steps. What do you suggest the listener does after hearing this conversation? Ooh, I appreciate that question because it makes me think about what would be the action steps here. I think we, we touched on a few of the tools that are almost no regret moves. And another question I'd seen that we might have coming up is something around what gets people stuck and, and blocked from getting some of their goals. And I think both all these kind of ideas around just beginning the journey more internally can be really helpful in getting that. So if I were to propose an action step for anybody in general, it'd be first off, examine life at the daily level. Like we often think to ourselves, what does a week or the month look like? And my experience, like is really that time between opening your eyes and closing your eyes, where you have the chance to really set the cadence and the inertia for the rest of the week and the month. Another kind of counter example like this is like people often will take deposits away from their weekend to invest in the week and say, I push really hard right now and have a crappy Monday through Friday. What's okay. Cause then I'll have the weekend to recharge. And then they'll say, oh, I'll push really hard right now in this project because it's okay. Once the project is done, I'll have a chance to recharge or no, I'll keep on pushing for these few months because it's okay. I have a, I have a vacation coming up in July and then I'll recharge. If you're not making time to balance or recharge every day and leaving every day with at least some growth and some net positive on your energy, uh, my belief is that you're setting yourself up for long-term burnout and failure. And so really have a look at what happens in every day and how you're going to make every day, quote unquote, successful, both in terms of what you do, but also your energy and your, your fulfillment with the day. And so as you examine the day, the two things that I would invite everybody to think about doing is when and how would you have a mindfulness routine that supports you and your introspection? And when and how would you have a journaling routine that you can also add on to that to make that introspection a bit more practical and also a bit more thought out? And if you do those two things, you're going to be, I think, at a great spot and a great start. And I just read this, this book, The Tools of Titans with Tim Ferriss, like some of the podcast guests and their best tips. And one takeaway that I have is like 80% of his high achieving podcast guests has some kind of mindfulness routine. So it's not a coincidence. Think about how that can be supportive for you and just try it out for one week, maybe two weeks if you can, to see if that impacts a day in a positive way. And if it's something that's going to have long-term impact for you. Wow. So mindfulness and journaling, guys, keep that in mind. Jason, thank you so much for such a great conversation. Mm -hmm. If you guys resonate with Jason, it, it is easy to reach out to him at jasonrwonder.com. Thank you, Jason, for such kind and generous outrospect towards our audience and being so kind with your answers. So thank you. Kirk. And uh, with that said, I am your host, Kiran Agrar, signing off for the day. You guys take care. Bye, guys.